You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Jonathan Williams, back in 2012, I started Forefront Brooklyn. It's good to be back with y'all. It's good to worship with y'all. Um, yeah. Um, it's fun. I, I'm, I'm glad I got invited to come back. I love the fact that they said, hey, when you come back, will you preach on hell? Like, <laughs> thank you so much for that. Greatly, greatly appreciate that one. Um, and so here's what I want to do. I am going to preach on hell today. Uh, let this be the beginning of a conversation, not the end of a conversation, all right? Uh, I'm sure there's going to be questions around this. If there's questions, we have a sermon, like, what do you call it, sermon talkback happening right after church. We could talk more about hell then. It's right before Benny's prayer workshop, so you can hit both of them up at the same time if you need to talk through some of this. Uh, and here's what I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this message is not going to be about whether or not hell exists, okay? I don't know, because I haven't died. Last I checked, you haven't died either, all right? So we don't know. So let's get into what scriptures tell us about hell. Maybe the way hell has been shaped by culture. Maybe the way that we're seeing hell uh, differently or in the wrong kind of way. Sound good? Let's talk about maybe why it's good news too. And I'm going to start by telling a story that I've told before. If you guys have been here for a while, you've heard this story. Um, but back in 2004, uh, my wife's best friend was killed. And it was a really awful, discombobulating experience for the both of us. Uh, we didn't know what to make of it. We were both young, and she was young as well. And so the next day, we had to go to my nephew's concert. It was at a Christian school that he was at. And so we walk into the school. We're just, you know, a mess. We're grieving. We're trying to figure out what, what's going on. And the pastor of this Christian school, where my nephew was, comes up to us, and he says, Hey, how are you? Because I guess we, we didn't look very well. Um, and we said, Not so good. We're not so good. He said, why? And we said, well, my wife's friend was killed last night. And he looks at us and he says, well, was she saved? Now, I've wanted to punch a lot of pastors. <laughs> I definitely wanted to punch this guy, for real, for real. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I mean, she was a Christian. He goes, well, good, at least she's in heaven, right? She's not in hell. And right there and then, the first thing I want to do as we talk today is we need to talk about the terrible theology that says Christianity is all about evacuation. Okay, let's start right there. Okay, Christianity is not about evacuation. First of all, let's, let's break down this terrible theology that we call the good news. Can we break that down real quick? Here's the good news. I'm going to tell you, the good news that a lot of us grew up with, I grew up with as well, uh, is that we have a God who is so big and so loving and loves us so very much that this God wants to spend eternity with us in heaven. So long as we say that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is our Lord and Savior. Now, if we don't do that, this God that loves us so much is going to send us to an eternal fire, okay, where we will be tormented for the rest of eternity. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the good news. 
okay? Now, by my calculations, uh, you know, I would say probably 98% of humanity right now, if what our theology is, uh, what the popular theology says is true, 98% of the population right now is burning somewhere in hell, right? That means 2% of us, thank God, we're the lucky ones. We made it to an all-loving God. That is what... Do we see that that theology has major, major problems, major, major issues, and yet we've made it such a part of our Christianity that sometimes we can't separate ourselves from it? How do we reclaim this? I think what we have to do if we're going to reclaim it is we're going to have to talk about what Jesus said. I love it, right? What's the easy answer whenever we're at church? Jesus. Y'all say it with me. Come on. Jesus. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus said about hell. What has Jesus got going on with hell? What does Jesus say about hell? What do our scriptures say about hell? And if you know me, you know that I always say this. We take the Bible so seriously, we can't always take it literally. So when Jesus talks about hell, we got to look at the context and culture behind what Jesus is talking about. Let's go ahead and do that. I have a few verses. I'm going to trip on those wires all day. Um, let's talk about it. Uh, Matthew 5.22, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew 5.30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. You snakes, you brood of vipers, you, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Truly I tell you, whoever did not do this for the least of me, or did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then you will go away to an eternal punishment, but the righteous get eternal life. Okay, so Jesus is talking about hell. All right, he's pretty clear. Let's not stop there, though. Let's talk about what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hell. And the translation is always the word Gehenna. How many people have ever heard of that word Gehenna? A few of you have. Okay, great. Gehenna is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're going to go to Gehenna. Now, what is Gehenna? See, we got to dig a little further. And like another thing I always enjoy saying, Jesus was a Jewish person. So as a Jewish person, Jesus wrote or read the, the Old Testament, right? Jesus did not have the New Testament like we have it. He was reading the Old Testament. What is Gehenna uh, in the way that Jesus would read the Old Testament? Well, let's start with this verse. And this is a verse that I know that you all know very well. You have it taped to your fridge, a lot of you. You read it every morning before you, uh, you know, leave for work. And it goes like this, Leviticus 18, 21. You must not give any of your children as an offering to Molech so that they do not profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord, right? Y'all know that one. Yeah, of course. So you know all about the child sacrifice that was going on in the time of early Israel, right? There's a ton of it going on to a God named Molech, okay? And in fact, if we don't believe the Leviticus verse, let's look at some other verses. And again, I'm going to try to read these really fast because they're long. And one is 2 Chronicles. It says, hey, he offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and passed his sons through the fire, a horrible sin practiced by the nations who the Lord drove out before the Israelites. Again, in Chronicles, he passed his sons through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says they built places of worship at the valley of Ben-Hinnom so they could sacrifice their sons and daughters by fire. Let's go to Jeremiah again. Go out to the part of the valley of Ben-Hinnom and say, uh, listen to what the Lord says. The Lord of Israel rules over all, says I'm going to bring disaster to this place. One more, 2 Kings 23.10. The king ruined Topheth at the valley of Ben-Hinnom so that no one could pass their son or daughter through the fire to Molech. What is the thread that we have going here? There are two of them. What are the two threads that we see? One, there's some child sacrifice going on, and this is really awful. The next time somebody says, hey, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be like reading or watching bad things. Be like, have you ever read the Old Testament, y'all? It's a mess. Lots of child sacrifice. Where is this child sacrifice happening? It's happening in a place called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, right? We got it? We're there? The Valley of Ben-Hinnom is a real 
place. It is a real place that sat outside of the walls of the city, which, you know, was switched a bunch of times. Let's call it Jerusalem for the sake of argument. It was a place that sat outside of the walls of Jerusalem, and it was a place where people went and they sacrificed their children. Now, how did they sacrifice their children? By what? Fire. Are we starting to get an idea of hell a little bit, all right? Now, this place had such a bad connotation. This place was so awful that by the time of Jesus, this was a place that was used as the city's garbage dump. It was a place that was used uh, um, not only to, to burn garbage. It was a place where criminals, where their bodies were buried. It was a place uh, that meant like separation. It meant no joy. It meant anger. It meant sadness. It was so bad that they had to rename the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. And friends, they did not rename it Staten Island. I'll show myself out. <laughs> you know what they renamed it? You want to take a guess? What did they rename the Valley of Ben-Hinnom? Gehenna. Gehenna. They renamed it Gehenna. So, for looking at the Old Testament that Jesus read, we see the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. We see children being sacrificed by fire. It makes perfect sense for Jesus to say, hey, if you're doing these things, you're going to go to Gehenna. You're going to separate yourselves from all that is good. You're going to separate yourselves from all that brings joy. You separate yourselves from all that is holy or all that brings unity. You are going to this very real place that has a wall and is separate from us. Jesus was being literal here. He's saying you're going to go to this literal place. It's right over there, 10 miles away. Changes the way we think about hell a little bit. Changes the way I think about hell a lot. So what do we do with that? You know, because so much of our Christianity is based on the idea, well, we're either going to go to heaven or hell. You know, the singer-songwriter Audrey Assad, I love what she says. I'm going to read it for us. She says this, Being saved by the threat of hell is not the real gift of Christianity. Being in union with God is the real gift. Being in union with God. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something. As I studied hell and studied some of these, what we're talking about today, that's not satisfying to me. It's not satisfying. You know what else isn't satisfying? That the concept of hell that I believed in eternal torment, maybe, as far as I know, doesn't seem to be what Jesus is talking about. That is not satisfying to me. i got to be honest, when I started reading this, I said, Jonathan, you're a progressive Christian. You're, you know, you're moving people forward into some different questions and some different thoughts, but maybe this is a bridge too far. Just leave hell alone, because now you're just starting to mess with me. And so... I thought it was odd that when I first started reading about this, I was like, this doesn't feel like good news to me. I want hell. I want it. I don't want it to be some other place. Why do I want hell? Well, there's a couple things that I think about. I think there's a few things that you probably think about, too. I, I hope you might connect in this way. Here's why I'm bothered by a lack of hell in the context that Christians use it today. Number one, it takes away our sense of justice. It does. Takes away our sense of justice. Now, how many of you grew up, uh, and this is maybe back to the question about being picked on or doing the picking on. How many of y'all grew up like picking on or being picked on? I think probably all of us in this room either one way or the other, right? I had two younger sisters, and I picked on them unmercifully. Like, I bothered them constantly. And they were smaller than me. They couldn't do much about it when I bothered them. They couldn't do much when I, like... I don't know, push them into a tree or something like that, right? Like, there's nothing they could do. But there was one thing they had on me. And the one thing they had on me was this. 
Wait until mom and dad get home and we're going to tell them everything. <laughs> right? They were powerless. They, they couldn't mess with me. But when mom and dad came home, all of a sudden the world was set right. <laughs> right? All the ways I picked on my sisters was now set right because I was going to get mine. Maybe they, did, they didn't have the power for me to get mine, but, but my parents did. And so they come to set things right. Now, I think we like the idea of hell because ultimately there are plenty of us in this room right now today who have experienced oppression and what it feels like to be powerless. We've experienced that. There are some of us in this room today just based on how we identify or the way we look have experienced oppression and powerlessness. And the truth is, at the end of the day, we want somebody to say, come along and go, hey, this might not be right right now, but don't you worry, they're going to get what's coming to them. We need that. We want that, especially those of us who have been beaten down for generations upon generations. We deserve that. And what God says is even those who are the abuser, even the oppressor, they get the chance of being in union with me just as much as you do. Oh, that sucks. My pastor growing up, he'd always say, the gospel's scandalous. I would say, the gospel's not, dude, you're so afraid of God. The gospel's not scandalous. This is scandalous. This is scandalous. The fact that, 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 that the idea of justice for God is not our justice, right? The idea for justice for God, God God's justice is not punitive. God's justice is love. And when there's love and there's not punishment, then all of a sudden our idea of hell has to change. And here's the second reason I, I don't want the idea of hell to change, because the idea of hell keeps me in power. Now, i got to speak for myself, and I'm taking a second to speak for y'all who look like me, right? There's a sense in which a lot of us here in this room, we have power. And I would dare say the last gasp effort of Christianity that we're seeing right now, especially among American evangelicals, is a grab to hold on to power. And so what is the way that we hold on to power? We hold on to power by telling folks who don't fit our narrative that there is a hell, there is an eternal torment. And they might tell you, no, that's happening out of love, to which I say, no, that's happening out of a power grab, right? Because the truth is, for privileged folks, equity feels like oppression. And the second that you start to feel voices that, like, pop up and say, hey, I have a voice in this too. Hey, I can speak to this too, whether I'm, I'm LGBTQIA, uh, you know, identifying or affirming or whether I question different things, or even if I go to forefront, or whatever the case may be, people go, no, 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 that's too much, you're, in you're, you're in impinging on my power, and so I say there's a hell, and you're going to go there if you don't get the idea right and, and get back in your place. Right? So we like the idea of justice on our terms. We like the idea of power on our terms, and when human beings don't believe that they are loved, we fall back on justice and power. Which leads me to the third reason I think we want to hell. Because we don't believe we're holy and fully loved. Yes. We don't believe that there is grace for us. And if there is grace for us, it's limited. That is what we believe. We can't fathom the idea that God loves us wholly and perfectly just because we exist. Because we've been told otherwise in our entire lives. Our, other, our, our entire lives, if you grew up in Christianity, you've been told, hey, hey, you are, you're imperfect. You're a sinner. You're blah, blah, blah. Paul writes, you're the scum of the earth. Thank God that Jesus brings God's son and God's son, or I'm sorry, God brings Jesus and then Jesus dies so that we can be seen as good. And I say all the time, right, this is not so that God changes God's mind about us, but so we change our minds about the goodness of God. And the truth is we still bear the scars that say we can't be loved. There's got to be that, 
There's got to be that thing that might send us in. It's, this is too good to be true. This, I can't even comprehend this. And guess what? This is the beauty of our gospel, that it is too good to be true. You are loved. I am loved. We are loved wholly and unconditionally simply because we exist. Every one of us. And the idea that that's the case is too much for us to bear. You ever notice the most judgmental people are usually the hardest on themselves? The people that have the hardest time loving are people that usually have scars from not being loved. The people that judge the most are usually the ones that judge, right? We can go on and on. And so hell is a really nice and tidy thing. It's way easier to create a couple of of boundaries. Here's hell over here. Let me stay away from it. Here's heaven over here. Let me walk towards it. Then to say, you know what? I'm going to rest in the fact that I'm in union with God. And I'm fully and wholly here. But see, in that, I think there is good news. In it, there's good news. Because I think there's a hell that does exist. And the hell that does exist is a separation. It's a separation of joy. It's a separation of peace. It's a separation of unity. It's a separation of community, like the one that you all have right now that, that I'm glad we can be, I can be a part of. Hell is when we look at somebody who's in separation, who's missing those parts, and we do nothing about that because we're comfortable where we are. That is hell. Hell is seeing the oppressed who are oppressed over and over, and maybe God says, I want to be in union with their oppressors, but you know what hell is? It's us standing back and doing nothing to change the way that person's being oppressed or hurt. Hell is sitting on the fence for folks like myself, sitting on the fence and being like, I'm just going to ride this out to see where it goes and not put myself in a position to lose any power. That is hell. And what I think is most fascinating is when Jesus talks about hell, and he does talk about hell over and over and over again, he always talks about it in this context. In Matthew 23, he tells them they're going to go to Gehenna for corrupting young people, being legalistic about the law, not keeping one's word, and not helping the poor or the powerless, being hypocritical and being full of self-indulgence. Y'all have never heard that before, right? Churches never change, do they? That's what sends people to hell. In Matthew 25, the people go to Gehenna because he says, I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. Thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. Naked, you did not clothe me. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Us sitting in our comfort while others have none brings about hell. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, people go to, people, Jesus says hey, you're going to go to Gehenna because you treat other human beings as less than. And you ready for this one? And you don't respect yourself. You send yourself to hell. You separate yourself. When I look at the angry, vitriolic Christianity of America today, what I see are not people that are really mad at and be like, oh, justice needs to come for those people. I see a really sad group that cannot grasp the grace and love and union with God. That is what I see. And our job is to keep folks out of hell. And if our job is to keep folks out of hell, then it's time for us to raise our voices and say, you are not separate from God. You are in union with God. God loves you wholly and perfectly simply because you exist. Now come join us in that unity. Come join us in that community. I'm going to do my job to make sure that you don't have to experience hell again. That is our role in all this. So are we going to hell? Is there a hell? I have no idea. I do know that there's a God who wants nothing more than union with God's creation. I do know there's a God who says, I love you so incredibly much that I want to enter into suffering with you so that you're not going through hell alone. I know that there is a God that says, whether you like it or not, your oppressor, the justice that they get is restorative and filled with love. 
And whether you like it or not, you are restored and always filled with my love. Another person who used to work here, Kai, knew. Um, they said this, and I'm going to read it because I love it. And they say, whatever your idea of heaven and hell is, I hope it is not an idea that's about an escapist future, but that is grounded in the present moment, that is oriented towards bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth now and today. Is your idea of heaven and hell attach, detaching you from a reality such that you're focused on an invisible future? Is it distorting the people present before you, or is it deepening your love and empathy for real, actual neighbors? I think that's a decent criteria by which we evaluate our theological beliefs. And as we go forward today, the very present kingdom of God, what signs of new life around us are here today that we can show people that is different from hell. It might be right under our nose. Let's pay attention to that. And let's make sure that as we go about being in union with God, as we go about proclaiming the good news of God's union, that we do not fall victim and let anybody steal our joy, our community, our security, and everything in between, for that is the devil. So let's pray, brothers, sisters, siblings in Christ. Let us be attentive and present to the work of the resurrection and new life around us. And let us show the kingdom of God directly under our noses. Amen? Let's pray. God, to you we are grateful for a grace that we cannot even understand. We have no concept of this grace, and yet we thank you for it. We thank you for unabounding love that we have no concept of, but we thank you for it. We thank you that you want nothing more than to be in union with us, and we have no concept of that, but we thank you for it. And God, we pray that you would give us the strength, give us your spirit that in your spirit, that we can keep people out of hell in the same way that you do so for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So right now, we're going to tra transition into a time of communion. Uh, communion is, is where everybody is welcome at the table. Like when you talk about union with God, we've, we've put so many stops and starts on communion, so many borders and boundaries no, this is, this is the God who says, come, take and eat. You are in union with me. This is the place where we get to remember and celebrate the fact that we are loved wholly and fully without limitation. So as this next song plays, what I'd love you to do is come up, grab the elements. They're gluten-free. Grab the elements, come up. Take time to thank God for our place in this life. And as we meditate and as we sing, let's worship a God who shows us a grace beyond our comprehension and yet changes everything. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.